Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 16th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's begin today with a special St. Patrick's Day message to all of us from the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins. May I send my warmest greetings and good wishes to our Irish family and friends of Ireland across the world on this day of celebration of our national patron, St. Patrick. President Higgins' message is to all of the Irish people in the world, those of us who were born and live here, those of us who live abroad, and to those who have come here to make this country their home. Whether we are Irish by birth or Irish by choice, we are all part of a rich and vibrant global community that is bound together by a shared love of life, a shared love of our national heritage, language and culture. The President is calling on us this year to draw a shared strength from recalling the inspirational teachings from the life of St. Patrick while we are celebrating the spiritual culture and legacy that comes from being Irish. In these times of multiple interacting crises, human and natural. It is vital that we recognize the need for a solidarity that binds us together as humans and acknowledge the responsibility we share for our vulnerable planet and for all those who dwell on it. War, the refugee crisis, climate change and natural disasters feature predominantly in this year's President's St. Patrick's Day message. For example, the plight of the people in Turkey and Syria will be in our thoughts as they work to rebuild in the wake of last month's devastating earthquakes. Such horrific events remind us all of our utter vulnerability and of the shared humanitarian response required. To mark St. Patrick's Day, the President's message talks about how we live in a time of increasing conflicts and a departure from the principles of international and humanitarian law so carefully crafted over decades as alternatives to war. Over a year on from the invasion of the people of Ukraine and all those ensnared in the more than 20 armed conflicts around the world must remain foremost in our minds. The Irish response President Higgins feels is in line with the ideals taught to us by St. Patrick. It is heartening to see the welcome that so many households and schools have extended here in Ireland and elsewhere. 
heartening to hear of all those who continue to provide sanctuary to the tens of thousands of displaced Ukrainian citizens who have fled conflict in their homeland. Schools in every part of the country have opened their arms to new pupils and shown a deep commitment of respect and solidarity. Thank you. The President thanks all of us, young and old, for the way in which we have responded to those from other parts of the world who are now in need of our help. And as we honour our patron saint, Mr Higgins muses how appropriate it is that we recall the foundational story upon which our National Day is based, that story of the slavery of St. Patrick's time as a young man. St. Patrick emerged from slavery, having been trafficked across the Irish Sea as a young man. After six years, he escaped, returning to his family and his studies in Britain. Yet, in a remarkable display of resilience and generosity, he would later return to Ireland as a missionary. In fact, there are many powerful echoes from Patrick's life, the President says, that resonate with our contemporary circumstances today. Ones that have brought new forms of slavery into being, where racism is increasing rather than decreasing in so many parts of the world, where a poisonous xenophobia, new and recalled, has taken hold in so many places. It is in these spaces where fear is being sold. President Higgins making a crystal clear appeal to the people of Ireland not to be drawn in by the far right. So what is it that St. Patrick teaches us about migration? The story of his life as a migrant, we must never forget, is a reminder of the resilience and necessary courage of migrants. A reminder, too, of the contributions that they have made and continue to make to the countries. They call home. The President says that we can invoke St. Patrick's spirit in acknowledging our role as global citizens, opening our minds and our hearts to our universal human family in all of its complexity, circumstances and vulnerability. The act of migration constitutes a story defined by an extraordinary will and an unyielding human desire to envision and create a better world even in the face of sometimes considerable adversity. This St. Patrick's Day, the President of Ireland says, basic human morality suggests that we must think in terms of the common good. That's if we are to invoke or follow the path of St. Patrick. It is by showing empathy, compassion and solidarity such as by helping those fleeing distress, by offering our hearts and doors to those in need and giving people an opportunity to build a better life for themselves and their families, that we demonstrate our commitment to bringing into being values which have the power to transcend borders. And that while St. Patrick's story encourages us to reflect on the significance of migration running through our history as a constant feature of the Irish experience... Recognising that we bear a duty to stand in solidarity with all those across the globe who are vulnerable and in need and to do everything in our power to create an inclusive, just world where all humans, in all their diversity and circumstances, are treated with dignity, respect and justice. The President of Ireland points out that because we are Irish, there is an obligation on us to act, to act to help people when they are in need of our help. We are required to respond to the ongoing brutal reality of human trafficking and forced migration as a constant feature of human experience. 
It is by doing that that we can most fully embrace Patrick's legacy and our own place and exercise our responsibilities in today's world. Ukran Aaron, the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, and that's just part of this year's St. Patrick's Day message to all of us from the President, and we'll try to hear more from Mr. Higgins and indeed the thoughts that he's sharing with us this year a little bit later on in the programme. Now to another message because the Road Safety Authority and on Garda Síochána also have a very important message for all of us to think about this St. Patrick's weekend and that is do not drink and drive. This year's campaign is being supported by Tommy Bogue. St. Patrick's weekend, it's a high risk time of the year, every year. Uh, last year there was two fatalities and, and 20 serious injuries and we don't want a repeat of that. So we're looking forward to everyone celebrating St. Patrick's and we've also got the rugby this weekend but it's really for people to be mindful of the risks of drink driving and drug driving and to find alternative ways home um, whether it's St Patrick's Day or whether it's after the match because um, the, the, the trends are really worrying increasing in fatalities this year We want people to have a safe St Patrick's weekend and we don't want any death or serious injury in Irish roads uh, Unfortunately road deaths are up this year and if we look back over the last five years around St Patrick's Day Unfortunately, 11 people have lost their lives and, and uh, 55 have been seriously injured on Irish roads. So our message you know, is really very clear. We want everyone to have a, a really good and enjoyable St. Patrick's Festival, but stay safe on the roads. People, people don't realise it's, it's um, a couple of units of alcohol. It takes two hours to, to get out of your system. So, so four or five pints, um, you know, that's not going to be out of your system if you don't get a, a standard eight hours sleep. So very, very mindful of, if people have an early start um, delay that start uh, if you're going to get behind the wheel and don't get behind the wheel till you feel that you're not impaired because impairment the following day uh, as big a risk to road users as it is um, that evening. I'm here with the Road Safety Authority in St David's and CPS really to talk about drink driving and how people need to really be aware particularly going into the weekend that it is St Patrick's Day weekend you've obviously Ireland and England huge rugby international and asking people to be safe on the road and it's it's whenever I do Ireland AM in the morning and we're having a bit of fun talking about the show that's coming up and you throw to the news and you come across a story of a death or a couple of deaths overnight and it just hits home that these are families that don't get the chance to say goodbye to loved ones and, and really it's something that I, I wanted to be a part of trying to create a good message. Any alcohol or taking drugs, how it can, can impair your driving and we really thank Tommy for, for what he's doing with us today to really highlight that, you know, never get behind the, re- the wheel having uh, consumed alcohol, it can really impair your driving uh, and make sure that you know, when you're out on the road and behind the wheel that you are, you know, you're not impaired in any way and you're not distracted in any way.
Some very important St. Patrick's Day messages for all of us there. You've been listening to Sam Wade, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Road Safety Authority, the Assistant Guard Commissioner, Paula Hillman, as well as Ireland AM presenter and former rugby player, of course, Tommy Bow. Before those road safety messages going into St. Patrick's Day, appealing to you to be safe on the road so that we'll all be here after the weekend. We heard from the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, and we hope to hear more from President Higgins later on, as mentioned earlier. Now, can I I just remind you that if you'd like to get in touch with us uh, today, our telephone number is, as always, 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. You might also want to tell us if you want to hear more of Sean O'Reilly later in the programme, given that it is St. Patrick's Day weekend. And the reason I'm giving out the phone numbers so early in the programme uh, this morning is to apologise because we had a lot of text messages that came to, uh, to us over the course of the week uh, that I, I wasn't aware of. I'm not sure there was something wrong uh, with uh, the system. Uh, Maybe it's uh, because uh, I'm broadcasting from home this week uh, and I'm in the living room, my living room, that is, uh, once again this week uh, because I tested positive with COVID and I was asking you to get in touch and send messages. Uh, And some of you must have been wondering, what's the point if he doesn't read them? Uh, I didn't get them. But the problem with the text system has been fixed and we will be getting your messages uh, this morning. That's if you want to text or WhatsApp 0861806. Uh, and let's uh, catch up on some of those messages because we were talking with friends of the earth on the program yesterday who were very concerned uh, about the environment, of course, and saving the planet and carbon emissions, but also the fact that people can't afford fuel and that there should be a just transition. Tom was in touch with us and he says, Michael, will the cost of smokeless fuel go down? It's currently at €33 Euro a bag and that's up from 16 I don't think so, but Friends of the Earth did suggest that core social rate welfare rates would increase by €20. Euro. Uh, Paddy Duffy was in touch with us about the Apple tax ruling, and he said that was Michael Noonan Economics, euthanistically youth, youth, carried out, or enthusiastically, I beg your pardon, it was Michael Noonan Economics enthusiastically carried out uh, and carried on by his successor, Pascal Dunhu. It's disgusting, he says. That's refusing to take the 13 or the 14 or the 20 billion euro that we're told Apple Corporation owes to this country in unpaid taxes. Barney in Knockbridge texted us about that. And he said, if we took the money, it could pay for a brand new children's hospital. Betty Daly said, good morning, Michael, uh, about those Apple taxes uh, and them getting away with the mega boxes, with the prices that Americans have to pay for our hotels, it serves us right. You could get to China for a week for what it costs to stay in Dublin for a weekend, she says. Thanks, Betty, for that. And apologies, as I say, for coming to these messages so late. We were talking about the driving test centre in Drogheda and how that's closed down, the concern that there is. We heard from uh, Mag's driving instructor yesterday and she was talking about Laytown and Bettystown. Somebody else said, surely Laytown and Bettystown are, are not in Drogheda. They're in County Meath and villages in their own right. What about RD and Carlingford and so on? People from those towns have to travel if they need to take a text. So why not travel if you're in Drogheda? Siobhan said, nothing the RSA does make sense. Apparently there were 
20 sites in, Dro- in Drogheda recommended to the Road Safety Authority and all were refused. This situation should have been addressed 12 months ago. The RSA is not fit for purpose. Who makes these decisions? They seem to be unanswerable to anyone, including the minister in charge, Eamon Ryan. All of the extra emissions from the extra travel as a result of people travelling from Drogheda to Dundalk or to Navin to take their test surely goes against his principles, says Siobhan. James in Drogheda says, I've never heard so much nonsense in all my life. To travel anywhere and do a test, you intend using your car to travel. What next? Will they be doing their leaving cert in their own bedrooms? It's a test of your uh, abilities, your ability to do something. We're becoming a a country of snowflakes, says James. Uh, Another message that comes to us from uh, a Navin listener uh, who's Tom, uh, who says, I I don't agree that you can only be tested in the town that you practiced in, uh, which was the point that I was making, was that if you've been learning how to drive in one town, very difficult to take the test in a separate town. Uh, But Tom says, if someone passes in Navin, then does this mean that they can't drive in Dublin or in Waterford? If so, then they're not competent drivers and therefore a danger on the roads. The system needs to be looked at. Uh, I was mentioning that I I tested positive for COVID. Uh, Thanks to Peter for your message. Uh, I'm not going to read Peter's message out (laughs) because it's pretty disgusting, to be honest. He was mocking me, uh, saying you went and got the the, the COVID vaccination and now you have COVID uh, and you're stupid and all this sort of thing. Mocking me because I have COVID. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, the, the mind boggles. Anyway, uh, Peter, if you could stop texting the programme, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, John, thank you for your text. He says, would you be able to highlight all of the good young working people who are leaving the country? We're going to be left with no workers or families in this country. The government are shambles and they can't look after people. Tom says, uh, when we need a Garda, we can't get one. This is to do with uh, the demoralised force we heard about on the programme yesterday. And I was asking the GRA if they would police protests if uh, the AGSI uh, were protesting. In other words, would rank and file Garda police protests from Garda sergeants and inspectors? Uh, Tom says, funny that there are lots of Garda to protect the well-heeled in society, uh, but the Garda doesn't help themselves. And a text as well from Bernie uh, on Tuesday when I mentioned that I had tested positive for COVID. And she said uh, that hearing your story, I had a cold when I got up and I took the test uh, because I was worried. Uh, Thankfully, I tested negative. And I, I'm so happy after hearing what happened to you uh, with uh, the week that's in it. Sorry for you. At least you'll be grand in seven days of cancer, too. That's why I'm so glad. Good luck, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie, very much indeed. And I think that's the thing. If you feel any symptoms to test, if you test positive, to isolate, uh, and uh, indeed uh, then uh, make sure that you get your vaccinations to prevent it all. I have to tell you, Bernie, I was testing positive or testing negative, testing negative, testing negative, uh, and then... Uh, eventually tested positive and i feel okay um the positive test came after the symptoms went if you know what i mean so uh, hopefully you are okay and uh, just saying that because it might be worth taking another test anyway Eamon was in touch with us as well because we were talking about the price of hotels particularly in dublin particularly this weekend you can't get a hotel if you do you might pay 700 you might pay a thousand euro you may pay 
1,500 euro a night for a hotel room. Uh, Eamon said 10 days in Spain in mid-August, two adults, three children in a three-star hotel, 1,600 euro, including the flights. I think that says it all, Eamon. Thank you for saying it in your text message and for sharing your thoughts with us. Just to remind you, our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 86 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. In about three and a half weeks' time, uh, that's Monday the 10th of April, we'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of uh, the Good Friday Agreement, which brought peace to the silent and indeed saw power sharing in Northern Ireland with uh, the establishment of uh, the Stormont Assembly and uh, the Executive Today, as we speak, and going into the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, there is no functioning assembly or executive for that matter. Let's uh, speak to the leader founder of AIM2, Peter Tobin, a TD for Mead West. A very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the program. Ahead of the anniversary, you've issued a statement saying, restore the institutions with or without the DUP. Yeah, the, uh, you're right. The, the peace process, process in the north of Ireland uh, was one of the most successful peace processes anywhere in the world. And anybody who lives through the, the 25 to 30 years before that uh, will realize that it's extremely welcome that we've had this peace process stick in this country. Um, and as a result, there's no doubt that many people are alive today that wouldn't be. Um, but I also think that we, you know, part of the peace process was the Good Friday Agreement. Um, it had a number of key institutions in it, democratic institutions. It had the Assembly, it had the, um, the Executive, the North-South Ministerial Council, um, and it allowed for democracy to function uh, in that manner in the six counties. A peculiar uh, form of democracy, though, at that, and as things stand, as the rules are, it's not possible to restore the institutions without the DUP taking their seats. Yeah, there's a fault in it. There's a break in it. Unfortunately, the system is the system is not working. So we have this ludicrous situation that in a Western democracy, for 40% of the last 25 years, we've had the uh, democratic institutions not function, and it wouldn't be acceptable anywhere else in the world. There's no way that you know we would accept in the south of Ireland for the last 25 years, 40% of the time, the doll just not functioning at all. Um, and it's just, it, it's absolutely intolerable. And the worst thing is that these guys are getting paid at the mm. moment and still not fulfilling their job. And the reason why it's intolerable, in my view, and we forget this in, at times in the South when we talk about the North, but the economy and the public service system in the North is in real, real crisis. And it actually puts our own crisis here in the South uh, in, 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 uh, in, in the shade. One in seven people in the north are on waiting lists in in, in hospitals. Mm. Hospitals right through the north are shedding services at a significant level. Daisy Hill right beside us here has lost emergency surgery services. Uh, We have 43,000 people on social housing waiting lists. Sure, but we have peace. We have peace, and the Good Friday Agreement and peace are predicated on power sharing. And uh, the the Hunt system allows for the equal sharing of power between the nationalist and uh, the unionist communities. Uh, And the reason there are no institutions now is because of the outcome of a a democratic election. If the UUP had enough seats, uh, well, then Stormont could be restored, but that's not the case. So uh, without uh, unionist representation, it's not possible. Turn all of that in its head. Uh, Would you accept 
the assembly to be restored without uh, Republican or without nationalist representation. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think that one political party should be allowed to crash any system, uh, any democratic system at all. But in the same way, if Sinn Féin didn't have the seats and the SDLP had the seats, uh, it's down to the election, uh, given the system that's so, in place. So basically what Aintu is calling for is a reform of the institutions in the north of Ireland. So no one political party can crash the system. Uh, and no one political party can stop an executive being created. And in fairness, we've brought that to the Taoiseach, uh, and the Taoiseach has articulated support for our reforms. And we've gone to Westminster, we've spoken to uh, MPs from the SNP, from Labour, and from the Tories, and they have come to, to a realisation too that it's, it's, it is now necessary to try and change uh, the democratic institutions in the North to allow it to function, even if either Sinn Féin or the DUP refuse to work we went to Washington, D.C., and we made the, the same point there. And congressmen and women and senators have come to the view as well that it is intolerable. It's just not acceptable anymore that one political party... Like, the, 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 the DUP received uh, 0.07% of the vote in the last general election in the North and in Britain. Uh, and what they've done in the last number of years is they have created political chaos in London for seven years. They've poisoned the relationship between uh, uh, Britain and the European Union. And they're leaving the, the North w- without a functioning government at a time where tens of thousands of food parcels have been handed out to people because they can't afford to buy food for themselves. So, On know, the other hand, there's a promise of huge investment. We're going to hear uh, a number of announcements over the course of this week from the American government, from the British government and from the Irish government, which will say that if the institutions are restored, there'll be massive investment in Northern Ireland. Will that be enough to heap pre- pressure on the DUP? Well, you know, it be, first of all, I, I think that the protocol uh, negotiations, the the Windsor framework was a very positive outcome between the negotiations between Britain and the European Union. But before that even happened, I predicted that even if there were successful negotiations, the DUP would not accept those, uh, the results of that negotiation. Because you've got to remember, the only thing the DUP are worried about is, is if the TUV are going to eat their lunch. So in other words, they're looking at the TUV behind their back and they're saying, if they accept democratic will of the majority of the people of the North, the TUV are going to start winning their seats uh, in the next elections. Now, and is that what would happen? I mean, well, do you not it, think that the Unionist Committee, I mean, it seems to me like the DUP have won an awful lot of ground through the Windsor Agreement. Now we're talking about massive investment uh, from uh, the three governments and the alternative to that uh, is this other threat that's coming from Washington to the British government that there won't be a trade deal unless the institutions are restored. Yeah, so there's a very good chance that if the DUP accepts this, that some of their seats will be lost to the TUV. But that's none of our business. You know, the idea that narrow political considerations by a minority political party in the North of Ireland would hold up the political system for everybody is an absolute nonsense. It cannot be accepted anymore. And And unless we reform this system, even if we got the institutions up and running, it would be designed to fail again because... Either Sinn Féin or the DUP would hold in their back pockets the threat of collapsing everything to make sure that they get their way in future. We have to Mm. normalize the democratic system in the north. We also have to devolve political power from London to to the north because right now the north is, is not able to deal with the economic crisis that it's in, the cost of living crisis that it's in. In Scotland, for example, 22% of all investments in Scotland is raised locally. In Wales, it's 10%. In the north, it's only 5%. And that only comes from rates. 
So at a time of the cost of living crisis, Sinn Féin, the SDLP, UUP and DUP are putting up rates on hard-pressed families. So we need mm. to bring economic powers back to Belfast to make sure that the elected representatives can self-determine what is the best way to run uh, that part of the country. And, you know, un- unless we get real about this, we're going to see real hardship in the north of Ireland. Uh, and I, I don't think people realise mm. that the north is suffering. Like, right now, there is public service strikes happening right across the sectors in the north because, you know, wages are so low. Staff so are- how do you get to that point? But how do you get to that point uh, of restoring the institutions without equal representation for the unionist community? Does that mean rewriting the Good Friday Agreement? Yes, the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement need to be reformed. Now, I'm not saying that either nationalist or uh, unionist blocs shouldn't have some kind of break on the system because, you know, Nationalists especially are fearful of unionist majority rule. Unionist majority rule has, has hurt nationalists and republicans and their human rights for nearly 100 years in the North of Ireland. But what I'm saying is that the, the, the thresholds for collapsing the system cannot be just one political party. The DUP cannot have the rights to crash it. In the same way, the Sinn Féin don't have the rights to crash it. Otherwise, the, the needs of the people, the housing needs, the health needs, the education needs, the transportation needs, they become secondary to the narrow political need, uh, uh, objectives of single political parties. And the, 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 there's a massive danger in that. And I, I've no doubt that we're moving the political establishment slowly mm. but surely to the day that there will be reform of the institutions. My worry is you're going to have you know, pomp and ceremony uh, on yep. the 25th anniversary. You'll have a big American caval- a presidential cavalcade yep. flowing in. And, you know, it'll be all for a coat and nothing else because there'll be well, no institutions functioning. <laughs> it could prove to be even more dramatic than that. I take it. Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen when the American president goes uh, to Stormont? Uh, will all of uh, the MLAs sit on that day, do you think? Or do you believe uh, that the DUP will give Mr. Biden the cold shoulder? No, I, I imagine all of the MLAs will sit. The MLAs have have sat uh, on two or three occasions uh, to, uh, before this. But the DUP um, will still, I believe, uh, likely uh, hold back uh, in relation to allowing for democracy to function. Um, you know, when the American president rolls in, there's no doubt that it puts enormous spotlight uh, on Ireland. It means that Ireland as a tourism uh, you know, destination becomes you know, very visible in the United States. It also opens up a pathway to investment, foreign direct investment. Like the, the incredible thing is that the north of Ireland now has access to the British market and the European Union market. And it has far lower input costs than the south. And if the DUP got its head together, it could actually you know, really, really drive the, the economy in the north to, to attract foreign direct investment. Interestingly enough, the north has had the ability to change its corporation taxes for the last uh, eight years. And yet the, the, um, the Assembly in the North hasn't got it together to equalise its uh, corporation tax with the South, which again is putting a break on investment and economic development. And like 70% of the people in the North at the moment are in some form of fuel poverty. That's way higher than any other Western European country. The, the, the political system, the establishment in the North, are functioning on this constant... Uh, crashing of the assembly and nobody's saying that we need to build a prosperous uh, economy in the north that actually functions for everybody Mm. that that brings in well-paid jobs for young people and creates the taxes that we can invest in our 
um, in our public services. And, do you think it's possible? Way, do you think it's possible that that would continue indefinitely as things stand? My worry is that with with the the way that the the institutions are built on the laws that the institutions are functioning on, there is always that chance that the system is going to break. And the political parties know that, and they use it. And that makes the Good Friday Agreement redundant, doesn't it? I mean, are we we celebrating the burial of the Good Friday Agreement? Well, I I do think that the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement are in tatters, and we need to to accept that, and we need to acknowledge that, because sometimes we think, well, you know, everything's fine. It isn't fine. We need to acknowledge that they're in tatters. The Good Friday Agreement has been changed before, in the St. Andrews Agreement. And what we in Aintu are calling for is for the, uh, a, another reform of the Good Friday Agreement. One, to allow, uh, to stop the crashing of the system. And two, to actually devolve more powers from London back to Ireland um, so that you know, we can have a better self-determination uh, in the north of Ireland. The, 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 the major problem here is if we continue down this route, we are literally cursing the people in the north into poverty, into economic stagnation, and into economic dependency on London. The, the whole way the, the financial system mm. of the North is built at the moment is a, in an idea of dependency. People mm. are dependent on the block grant coming from London. We need to have a politics of ambition where we actually look to grow the economy, make it uh, functioning, make it prosperous, so that we have a healthier economy in the North. And, and that okay. won't happen mm-hmm. while the it's prone to crashing. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, 25 years ago on the 16th of March, uh, I think a, a deal was far from uh, reach in the minds of, of a lot of people, but uh, diplomacy and democracy worked and people came together and there's a lot of uh, high uh, ranking talks taking place at the moment, particularly across uh, the water and Perhaps there will be some sort of resolution before the 10th of April in three and a half weeks' time. Let's hope that's the case, at least. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning, by the way, Pater. Thank you. That's uh, Pater Tobin, leader and founder of the Aim2 Party, a TD for Mead West. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. What does being Irish mean? Well, you're welcome to share your thoughts with us on that if you'd like to do that. We've uh, picked out uh, some people uh, that you'll be familiar with uh, to hear some of uh, their thoughts uh, about themselves and being Irish and so on. We'll be hearing them through the day. And I think we can hear now part of an address to the Shared Ireland Forum in 2021. This is Patrick Keelty. In this year of centenaries, the ghosts of the past are easy to honour. It's way easier to sing a rebel song about a united Ireland than decide not to sing it in order to maybe have one. And yet we have to be honest with each other about who we are, how we feel and why we feel it. And it's not just trauma that gets passed down. This isn't just a northern thing. Across this entire island, not talking and not engaging means that other things get passed down too. One-sided history, stereotypes, and maybe the worst of all, apathy. It's easy in a post-Brexit world to sit in Dublin and say the British government doesn't care about the North when the truth is for many people here in the Republic, they aren't particularly interested in it either unless a northern team pulls a hard Brexit with Sam Maguire. 
I know it can be a tricky place to get your head around somewhere that's home to orange men and All-Ireland winners. But it's way harder to understand when you're not curious. As someone born and reared in County Down, a place that in the past has returned both Eamon de Valera and Enoch Powell as our MPs, it's always been clear there's another side to the coin. Disagreeing or ignoring another opinion or another way of life doesn't make it go away. We've had to share things in Northern Ireland for a while now. For a long time we didn't and it got us nowhere. Sometimes compromise is slow, frustrating, torturous. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all, but we are still sharing the same space. And the vast majority of people in the North no longer look at things through a binary prism. They're getting on with their lives and each other. Say this quietly, but the shared island we're talking about is already happening today, just up the road. Is it a love-in? No. Is it united? Definitely not. But you know, too often on this island we get fixated with the notion of being united, remaining part of the United Kingdom, becoming part of a united Ireland, but as a fan of the red side of Manchester, these days can I say that being united isn't all it's cracked up to be. This island is never going to be united. And that's okay. Because no matter if, and it's a big if, if a border poll takes place, and more importantly, no matter how it turns out, most people living here will feel exactly the same about who they are and what they believe in. There's still going to be a million or so on this island who are British. They don't just think they're British. They don't need converted. They're not confused. They're British. In the same way that a million or so living north of the border today know that they're Irish. A shared island means being able to be Irish in a future Northern Ireland or be British in a future Ireland and not holding no fear. It means we can all feel as at home the day after a border poll as the day before, no matter the result. Patrick Keelty, more thoughts on Ireland and being Irish later in the programme. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, just to remind you, we'd love to hear from you today. If you'd like to make comment on the programme, our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. And let me bring you some of uh, those comments now. Paddy Duffy, thanks for your text message to the programme. He says, there's no way that the DUP should have access uh, to the government of the six counties ever again. Uh, In other words, they should be uh, kept out of Stormont. As I have said before, they are not and have never been a political party. They are a hateful, bigoted cult and deserve to be treated as such. Well, thanks, Paddy. I think the people who vote for them would differ and therein lies democracy. Maul has been in touch with us uh, this morning. She says, what is it like to be Irish? Uh, Because uh, we were asking you if you'd like to share with us your thoughts on what it is like to be Irish. And we'll be hearing from some celebrities and famous politicians uh, before 11 o'clock this morning and their thoughts on being Irish and things associated with that. She says, to be honest, Michael, Irishness is dying now with so many races here. Irishness is sadly becoming a thing 
of the past. Thank you indeed, Maul. Maybe that's uh, how we perceive what being Irish is, because I think it's true to say that the country is changing, and a lot of us find it very exciting, it's exhilarating, in fact, that we're bringing this diversity into this country and into our lives, and we're starting to see a vision of a new Irishness. And it reminds us of the speech from the president uh, today as well. We're going to hear from three presidents now, if you don't mind. Uh, and we'll begin with uh, the incumbent Michael D. Higgins, uh, because his speech uh, this morning really has caught the attention on, of a lot of people because He's been talking about St. Patrick's, uh, obviously, because it's a St. Patrick's Day message uh, and the slavery that St. Patrick experienced as a young boy. But he says there's many parallels between St. Patrick's young life and the world we live in today and new forms of slavery where racism is increasing rather than decreasing in so many parts of the world where he says there's a poisonous xenophobia, new and recalled, it's taken hold in so many places and that is the space where fear is being sowed and God knows we've seen that in this country with the far right going into communities talking about unvetted men of military age and why are they here and they're not really refugees uh, and that's that space of fear uh, where this racism and xenophobia is, is taking hold he told us not to forget though that patrick was a, a migrant uh, and that his life should remind us of the resilience and necessary courage of migrants and the journey i suppose that they have to take in order to get to places like here and the president asked us to show empathy compassion and solidarity uh, to people who are distressed and he said we could do that by offering our hearts and our doors to those who are in need and give them a, a, an opportunity to build a, a better lives for themselves. He said, in fact, that we have a, a duty to stand in solidarity with all of those people across the world who are vulnerable and in need of our help. We are required to, he said, to respond to the ongoing brutal, brutal reality of human trafficking and forced migration. And President Higgins said that is how we fully embrace Patrick. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Legacy and exercise our responsibilities in today's world. President Michael D. Higgins said we have a moral and ethical responsibility to support people who are in dire need of our help president asked us to pledge to confront these challenges by using St. Patrick's most essential values, values such as kindness and compassion. Rather than list the points of darkness that challenge us in our contemporary circumstances, let us instead 
be guided by the points of light. Let us envision how our lives could be without war, famine, hunger and greed in a world that eschews the poisonous ideals of imperialism and embraces the decent instincts of humanity that such as St. Patrick embodied. As we commemorate St. Patrick's legacy, guide and patron, whose life embodied the values of a shared, generous sense of humanity, let us do so by mustering the courage to recover the best instincts of our humanity, have the mettle to face those who resist such instincts, reaffirm and strengthen our commitment to advocating the principles that informed Patrick's life, calling us, as they do, to embrace our role as global citizens, extending a hand of support to all those in need with whom we share this planet, respond with hospitality and kindness to those fleeing the ravages of hunger, conflict and climate change, thus bringing into reality our taking responsibility to work with fellow citizens for a more just and inclusive world. I wish you all a most enjoyable and peaceful St. Patrick's Day. Now, if you think uh, the president's speech reflects a modern Ireland, uh, maybe it's time we rethink that, uh, because we're going to go back 33 years in time now to a speech from the then president, Mary Robinson. In fact, this is part of her inaugural presidential speech. The best way we can contribute to a new integrated Europe of the 90s is by having a confident sense of our Irishness. Here again, we must play to our strengths, take full advantage of our vibrant cultural resources in music, art, drama, literature, and film, value the role of our educators, promote and preserve our unique environmental and geographical resources of relatively pollution-free lakes, rivers, landscapes, and seas. Encourage and publicly support local initiative projects in agriculture, forestry, fishing, alternative energy, and small-scale technology. Looking outwards from Ireland, I would like, on your behalf, to contribute to the international protection and promotion of human rights. One of our greatest national resources has always been, and still is, our ability to serve as a moral and political conscience in world affairs. We have a long history of providing spiritual, cultural, and social assistance to other countries in need, most notably in Latin America, Africa, and other third world countries. And we can continue to promote these values by taking principled and independent stands on issues of international importance. As the elected president of this small democratic country, I assume office at a vital moment in Europe's history. Ideological boundaries that have separated East from West are withering away at an astounding pace. Eastern countries are seeking to participate as full partners in a restructured and economically buoyant Europe. The stage is set for a new common European home based on respect for human rights, pluralism, tolerance, and openness to new ideas. The European Convention on Human Rights, one of the most finest achievements of the Council of Europe, is asserting itself 
as the natural constitution for the new Europe. These developments have created one of the major challenges for the 90s. If it is time, as Joyce's Stephen Dedalus remarked, that the Irish began to forge in the smithy of our souls the uncreated conscience of our race, might we not also take on the still uncreated conscience of the wider international community? Is it not time that the small started believing again that it is beautiful, that the periphery can rise up and speak out on equal terms with the centre, that the most outlying island community of the European community really has something strange and precious to contribute to the sea change presently sweeping through the entire continent of Europe. So much has changed, so little has changed. It's amazing, really, how the two speeches from the two presidents mirror many of uh, the same ideals in between the 33 years that have passed since Mary Robinson there in 1990 and Michael D. Higgins today, who we heard before that. But so much has changed at the same time, especially if we talk about the next president that we're going to hear from, Eamon de Valera. We're going to go back to 1943 80 years ago when Mr. De Valera was the Taoiseach of the day. And here's a small portion of his then St. Patrick's Day speech. The ideal Ireland that we would have, the Ireland that we dreamed of, would be the home of a people who valued material wealth only as a basis for right living. Of a people who, satisfied with frugal comfort, devoted their leisure to the things of the spirit, a land whose countryside would be bright with cosy homesteads, whose fields and villages would be joyous with the sounds of industry, with the romping of sturdy children, the contest of athletic youths, and the laughter of happy maidens, whose firesides would be forms for the wisdom of serene old age, the home, in short, of a people living the life that God desires that men should live. With the tidings that make such an island possible, St. Patrick came to our ancestors 1,500 years ago, promising happiness here no less than happiness hereafter. It was the pursuit of such an island that later made our country worthy to be called the island of saints and scholars. It was the idea of such an island, happy, vigorous, spiritual, that fired the imagination of our poets, that made successive generations of patriotic men give their lives to win religious and political liberty, and that will urge men in our own and future generations to die, if need be, so that these liberties may be preserved. All right, there you go. That's uh, part of uh, the Taoiseach speech from 1943. Eamon de Valera on St. Patrick's Day. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, another increase in interest rates is expected uh, when the European Central Bank uh, announces its latest move, which I think is expected to be another half a percent. Let's speak to David Hall, who is the CEO of iCare Housing and co-founder of 
the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. A, a very good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. There had been some speculation that they'd hold back or maybe not go as far because of inflation dropping. Uh, but what do you expect to hear from them today? I think, I think we'll see a 0.5% raise. Um, I think there's a Credit Suisse issue where the Swiss government have had to intervene to try and give some semblance of protection. Obviously, there's a lot of jungling around about banking shares at the moment, a bit of a concern around the banking. Um, so it's infrastructure at the moment. I think many people are a bit worried. I think on that basis, they were hoping with coupled with a bit of a decrease in inflation. But I think my understanding from looking at some reports this morning that the inflation actually has increased slightly again. So the trend is, has churned, albeit very small. So look, I think we're in for another 0.5% rate rise Um which is not good, uh, and will bring the, the ECB rate up to now 3% um, after uh, also having record lows. And this will cause great difficulty, uh, great pressure, great stress, uh, coupled with the d- existing um, cost of living crisis. Everybody knows, all your listeners mm-hmm. know this day in and day out. And now on top of that, we're going to have significantly uh, challenged individuals trying to meet mortgage payments. Right, and uh, they'll have increased quite significantly since they started to increase rates, particularly for those uh, on variable rates and uh, the tracker mortgages. Yeah, the tracker rates, there's a, there's a few categories. There's a tracker rates who've been hit straight away. There's the variable mortgages with the mainstream banks who've been a bit more cautious about adding on the full uh, rates. It's very important to recognise that they haven't done that just yet because this would be a lot more difficult for a lot more people faster if they had done that. Then you've got the vulture funds who... Um, we're all reassured by various parties and various commentators and indeed the Department of Finance that they're nice, cuddly, warm people who look after you and, and your consumer protections go across. And, you know, this will bring up the, the rate that Pepper's loans are being mortgaged, managed at the moment, 8%. And we have to remember there's an additional cohort of people that have been forgotten about, of which there are a number of thousands of them, which were interest-only trackers. A very, very uh, delicate bunch of people who are in immense pressure now, whereby they're a lot older. And those tracker rates have gone up, but indeed their values of the properties have stayed the same and they are effectively in a glorified rental situation. So it's a very, very mm. difficult environment. It's a very, very delicate environment. And ultimately, these are humans who have coupled with the travel costs, with light heating. No, your listeners don't need me to be listing on yeah. the stuff that's yeah. there at the moment that's causing great difficulty. And, and a housing crisis, like this is not like options people have to abandon their home. They need to live in their home and it's becoming yeah. exceptionally expensive. And many people listening to this programme will be familiar, very familiar with one person, Jimmy Crosby in RD, who has his mortgage with Pepper because it was transferred there from PSB. He expected uh, that he he should be paying less at this stage. uh, But as you say, after today, he'll now be on an interest rate of probably about 8%. Yeah, like and that is obscene, and 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 Jimmy and many others have had the same situation arise where they, you know, had a loan with a bank that was effectively bailed out by the state, was managed and, and controlled by the state, who were sold to a vulture fund without checking the vulture fund's structure. And and it's important to note, Pepper don't own those loans. Um, mm. I met Pepper last Friday, and had a detailed conversation uh, with them, and we'll have further meetings with them. And again. Uh, they don't own those loans. And this is a, sort of one of the three-card tricks that are being presented to customers in, in this vulture fund structure. They're the front, they're the face of it, uh, and they are presenting all of the news. But ultimately, hidden behind that, and I wrote to the finance committee, the Iraqis finance committee yesterday, to say, mm. don't get distracted by some of these big-named vulture funds at the front. There's 20, 30, 40, 50 entities in the back who actually make these decisions. And it's an obscene rate. It is an obscene rate and, yeah. and is going to put many, many people under immense pressure and put them in bad stead. And they're not like a normal blender. They don't offer fixed rate mortgages. They don't offer 
the safety and security that other customers have. And the central bank and the government have allowed this happen. And we must remember that. They have control of this. They've allowed it to happen. Well, I was just going to say that to you because it's been condemned uh, across the political divide by politicians in the Dáil. They've all raised concerns about these massive interest rates. Uh, And uh, if I tell you they've condemned what Pepper and others are are doing, I'd forgive you for saying so what? Because it seems as though nobody can or will do nothing about it. And the Irish Central Bank says it doesn't have a role in regulating this. Well, that's utter rubbish. So I I appeared at an invitation for the Oireachtas Finance Committee last Wednesday fortnight um, with Brendan Burgess and Horik Hassan in relation to non-bank lenders and vulture funds. And one of the questions I posed to the committee uh, when we were having this conversation was, who regulates the regulator? And to that, there was a deafening silence to which one or two members of the committee correctly said, well, I think that's us. And I said, it's absolutely you. And it is not a normal relationship when a regulator appears before an Oireachtas, a democratically elected uh, parliamentary, parliamentary committee. It is not a normal structure where a regulator appears in there. They're absolutely answerable to you. And it is not appropriate, and I've discussed this with you before, Michael, it is not appropriate that a regulator has a dual function to protect consumers and regulate the offenders to whom they're trying to protect you against. So it is a completely mishmash system. It is a system that many third world countries would be embarrassed to have in existence, yet we have it here. And it is hot air for many of the commentators who've said it's you and politicians who've said, you know, it's not appropriate, it's too high, it's too high. Well then, get up off your backside and do something about it. Okay, your advice uh, up to now for those who can fix it, what well, is to fix that? Uh, does that advice hold now ahead of uh, this yeah, interest rate and, cha- and the challenge is, like, I, I remember specifically, I remember where I was standing having the conversation with you initially when this happened over, 18, over a year ago. And, and I remember clearly where I was standing having that conversation down in, in, in the University of Limerick and when I did the interview with you and we said about making sure you get in early and get fixed at the time. I think that was probably 12 months ago. And uh, the difficulty is now that those fixed rates that we just spoke about 12 months ago have gone up again. And we go up again this week. So it is a very difficult situation. The most important thing for advice is there are professional mortgage brokers in the country who are exceptionally good. This is what they do every single day. They know what's happening in the market. They know what's happening with the lenders. Please seek that advice. Do not sit your hands. You have a responsibility for yourself, your family uh, and your community do whatever is possible in a very difficult situation. We'll all give out. I find it very therapeutic. In the last 10 years, bashing the living hell out of banks and vultures, but there's only so much we can do. We can politically canvass, we can politically vote, and we most certainly mm. must, must take steps to protect ourselves as best we humanly can. Seek independent advice as quickly as possible if you haven't done so already. Uh, and what have you fixed nine and a half years ago where your 10-year term is about to run out? Uh, in other words, you're going to be going from one rate into a much higher rate. Uh, people must be uh, on tender hooks. On tender hooks, and, and you're obviously 10 years older, Michael, and your yeah. set of circumstances, the qualifying criteria is, is a feature of your age and, and your income and your longevity of your income and a whole host of other issues uh, are, are relevant at the moment. And, and this is a very difficult environment. There's no point in lying about it. It is very, very difficult. And there's no easy solution to it. We require political intervention and we require regulatory intervention, neither of which has been forthcoming, only a lot of hot air. And there's always so much many people can do, but there's many people are at risk now, many people are under immense pressure, and many people's lives, I believe, will be destroyed as a direct result of what has happened, what has been allowed to happen. And we've been told lies. We were lied to about the consumer protection. You know, it is not the same as having a loan with a mainstream bank. That's clearly evident now. Many of us warned at the time. We were told we were headbangers. 
that's not the case. The Central Bank and the Department of Finance reassured everybody that the rules uh, were in place to protect everybody. That's uh, clearly evident now from all of the information before the Oireachtas Finance Committee that, that was, we were all misled in that regard and there should be consequences for that. All right, we've had 15 years to learn, if you like, and uh, take That's me back. Joke. 50... That's a big joke. Yeah. That's a big joke <laughs> well, uh, we've right. to, we have multiple times to learn and we haven't got our infrastructure in place. Yeah. We haven't got our insolvency legislation. i got to ask you a question, Michael. It's like, name me. Uh, we, we're financial consumers and if you're a badger, if you're a turtle or if you're a bee, you've got more rights in the country than financial consumers. Okay. Uh, I was just thinking back uh, 15 years or, or so ago and I heard on the business news, it wasn't in uh, the normal news, you'd have to go to the business pages of uh, the newspapers really, uh, to have learned about some American bank called layman's that had collapsed and thinking well that has nothing to do with me it's not particularly interesting it's one of those financial reports it's in a different country everybody is saying don't worry about it and the next thing you know contagion uh, hit and banks were collapsing left right and center and it ended up destroying this country Uh, we have a similar sort of story 15 years on with the collapse of the silicon valley bank it's in a different country it seems to be a boring business type of story Uh, there is now uh, some concern about the swiss lender as well Are, are we looking at the potential of another banking collapse yeah, I think, you know, as you, you said it yourself, and you, you summarise it quite well, and I, I just echo what you've said, that the facts are the facts. We have a bank that's a non, nondescript, irrelevant bank, stuck over in, in, in the middle of Silicon Valley with £160 billion of uh, loans out. looks very well capitalised. If the regulator moves in, all hell breaks loose, and now we suddenly have something popped up in Switzerland. Again, a bit closer to us, but completely and utterly irrelevant. And we have our, our shares in our banks have dropped by 15% in steadies at a 6% reduction. So 100% there's a grave danger here for everybody. And again, as you said correctly with Lehman's and others, we were all collateral damage in regards to a big, big casino. And uh, that's where we're stuck at at the moment. And we need to be very, very careful. And, and, you know, we need reassurance. It's not ideal that we've got half our more than half our cabinet, maybe 90% of our cabinet, out of the country at the moment. Um, and reassurance is needed. I don't hear a word from the central bank. I don't hear any public commentary. There seems to be a holiday time with Paddy's weekend, which is wonderful, and everyone should celebrate our, our, our great patron saints. But ultimately, we have a lot more uh, risk at the moment in relation to the future of banking, and we know what happened the last time this happened. Okay, with these high interest rates, is this a, a good time or a bad time? to be buying uh, with so much uh, uncertainty and uh, prices, house prices increasing anyway. You see, the, the, the issue is about, about buying. It's like everyone just assumes the, the standard uh, criteria for buying is four times your income. There's a whole host of stress testing. Like anybody who, who makes an application at the moment, Michael, will understand this is a remarkably difficult process. Like this is a very stressful process to try and buy a house, to apply to get a mortgage to buy a house. It is a remarkably stressful um, situation and set of circumstances and really is very, very difficult. And I don't know if it's a good time. I don't know if it's a good time at the moment. It's, it's really your housing needs and your current costs you're paying feature into it, uh, your other mm-hmm. bills, your other loans, uh, you or your partner or you're in, on your own. There's a whole host of criteria depending on what you're on at the moment. And many basic one is if I'm paying two grand a month rent and I can find a house that I can be eligible for to borrow from and pay only two grand in, in a loan, then I'm, I'm quids in. That generally seems to be the, the criteria many people are doing, but there's not enough houses. Mm. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that you can buy a house if you can find a house, but they're very uh, sparse uh, at the moment. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of criticism uh, about uh, a crisis uh, that has run for 10 years now. Uh, we're turning the corner, we're told. Uh, do you believe that at all? 
Ah, uh, no, I think there's an element of delusion, an element of institution delusion that's going on at the moment, you know. And um, I, I think, you know, the numbers the numbers speak uh, volumes that are there at the moment. And I think, you know, the Banking Payments Federation, uh, in its own summary this week, earlier this week, said that we're going to be down a couple of thousand houses from last year. Normally, you expect numbers to increase, even from a low base, you expect them to increase. But when you're being told in advance and being positioned in advance, those numbers are going to be lower. Um, and also, like, the, you know, the those of us who are involved in social housing will know local authorities are horrific in allocating people. Like, I guarantee you, Michael, if you were to ask the awkward question of many of the approved housing bodies and indeed the councils, how many vacant properties that are eligible for social housing have they got into possession? Because it takes too long to appoint somebody um, to a property as a tenant and they only start the process when the keys are ready. In any other competent jurisdiction, you have all the background work done before the key is ready. When the key is ready, somebody moves in. So we have a lot of work to do in relation to the basics before we get involved in any of the high-level uh, plans to solve housing. Okay. David, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you as always, though. It's always appreciated. Always good to talk to you. David Hall, uh, there, as you know, David is the CEO of iCare Housing, and he is the co-founder of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Pat is in Drum Conrath and says, Michael, we all need to stop using the terms race and racism. There is only one race, the human race. To be Irish is to strive to love one another and open wide the human heart to every spirit and have a bit of crack and laughter while we're at it. Thank you indeed, Pat. What a, a fabulous way of putting it. And thank you very much uh, for summing up my thoughts, I have to say, Pat, for me uh, so articulately. Uh, Jim uh, on the other hand, says our country was always wonderful with the old Irish traditions, sayings, healings, and our innocent old fashionedness. That's what it is to be Irish to me. But we're losing all of that with all of the races in Ireland. Now we're having to change for other religions. We're losing traditions because other religions here are offended. I know we have to move with the times, but that doesn't mean we have to lose all of our identity. And Jim says that is what's happening. I'm not sure that that's what's happening. We don't have to lose our identity. Why can't we have diversity? And as Pat and Drum Conrad says, why can't we all be part of the human race, a diverse human race that embraces each other, respects and celebrates the differences between us? Uh, we'd Brian in touch with us, uh, who was inquiring about staying at a hotel in Dublin for two nights from seven o'clock today until Saturday morning. Uh, he, he got a quote, €880 Euro for two people for two nights, B&B. The price is outrageous. How can people before, afford that, he says. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I actually, I'm surprised at how cheap that is. I know it's ridiculous. For two nights for uh, with B&B, uh, I, I think you're probably getting a good rate relative, and I mean relative, uh, to what some of the hotels are charging. Uh, Susan in touch with us about the price of hotels in Dublin in particular in recent weeks. She says she liked the idea of going to Dublin for the parade with her husband and the kids, but she couldn't believe the prices that she was being quoted by some of the hotels. It was in the thousands, several thousands, in fact. Uh, she says it would have been cheaper to fly the whole family abroad and attend one of the parades overseas than it was to go to the capital for a couple of days. Well, isn't it a shameful situation, but that is uh, the reality of uh, the situation in the country that we live in today, which, of course, is Ireland. 
but worth mentioning because it's a great week to be Irish. And uh, we all have our own different definitions of what it is to be Irish, uh, as we've been hearing from uh, the comments there. And by the way, if you'd like to tell us what you think it is to be Irish, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. That's 041-983-2000. Call us uh, and share your thoughts with us or text them to us or, or WhatsApp a, a text. 86 658 is the number. And email michael at lmfm.ie. And while we're waiting to hear about your feeling on what it means to be Irish, uh, we'll come back to some of uh, the well-known people that we've pulled off the archives to listen to. And, and we'll hear a, a little bit of John Hume now, speaking in 2006. But if people are not educated, then they will not be creative. So education was a very important factor in my life. I have no doubt about that. On the streets of the time, elections were taking place, as they always did, with both sides waving flags and, and, and young people getting all excited. And my father was standing watching this with me, and he tapped me in the shoulder and says, don't you get involved in that stuff, son? I says, why not, Dad? He says, you can't eat a flag. In other words, what he was saying is real politics is about the living standards of people, about social and economic development. It's not about waving flags at one another. Well, I decided that as an elected representative, it was my duty to do everything in my power to get peace in our streets, as it was one of our major problems. And of course, I thought that one definite and direct way of doing so was in direct dialogue with those organizations that were engaged in violence. And as I When I was very severely criticised for doing that, I said very clearly, look, given that thousands of British soldiers in our streets haven't stopped the violence, if I could save one human life by talking to somebody, it's my duty to do so. That's what I said at the time. And of course, the historian in me knew what were the traditional reasons for IRA violence. And I knew that whatever about the past, those reasons did not exist today. So when I started my dialogue with them, that's what I was saying, and they told me to prove that and they would stop. And I went to the British government of the day and the Irish government and got them to make the joint declaration, which made clear what I was saying to the IRA. Because their traditional reason for violence was that the British are in Ireland defending their own interests by force, therefore the Irish have the right to use force to put them out. My response to that was, whatever about the past, that's not true today. The only reason the British are here today is because the majority of the people in Northern Ireland want them to be. If that majority changes their mind, the British will, will, will agree with it and leave. And, of course, that's what I got the British to say, that if uh, uh, in, in, in the Anglo-Irish Agreement, uh, Margaret Thatcher made clear, and I was involved in getting this, said that if a majority of people in Northern Ireland wished Irish unity, they would legislate for it. That's John Hume speaking in 2006, and I'm sure that there's many people who will identify with what John Hume had to say at any stage of his life, one of uh, the greatest Irish men who has ever lived. Uh, Another honorary Irish man, and possibly the greatest honorary Irish man, is, of course, John F. Kennedy, who came to visit this country back in 1963. Uh, and he spoke to the Oireachtas at the time uh, and uh, told TDs and senators all those years ago about how if things had been somewhat different, uh, that maybe he'd have been sitting alongside them. I am deeply honoured to be your guest in the free parliament of a free island. If this nation had achieved its present political and economic 
statue a century or so ago, my great-grandfather might never have left New Ross. And I might, if fortunate, be sitting down there with you. Right, uh, that's uh, John F. Kennedy back in 1963. Long, long time ago, isn't it? Uh, 60 years ago. Let's uh, come uh, a little bit more up to date uh, to 2008 and something far more important than politics and politicians. Let's talk about sport. And one of uh, the most adorned sportsmen in this country. This is Martin O'Neill speaking in 2008. I wanted to think about playing those games in the English League in front of massive crowds at Anfield and at Old Trafford. And yet at the same time, I loved, I loved Gaelic football. I loved everything about it. I loved my uh, Irishness. And I was in the process of trying to figure things out. Ironically, when I was playing for St. Malachy's College, as I moved, my family moved to Belfast, and I changed colleges from uh, St. Columns to St. Malachy's. And when I was there at uh, St. Malachy's, I, I participated in the football, the Gaelic football, against other colleges. One in particular was against St. Mary's, also of Belfast. And because I was playing soccer uh, for distillery, a little Irish league team, I was prevented from playing by the GAA from playing at Casement Park in Belfast where they were holding this game between uh, two Belfast colleges. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was extremely short-sighted of the GAA. I thought for the first time ever they were questioning, certainly challenging my Irishness. And my father, who had been a, a major supporter of the GAA, was desperately disappointed by it all. I think, there was a, I think there was a culture change in him that particular time. I think he felt let down, and I certainly did. And the irony of it all was that the colleges themselves still wanted me to play the game. They wanted me to be involved and contrived to have a different venue outside Belfast, outside Antrim, to a neutral venue in Tyrone, in County Tyrone, where I would end up playing the game. I did play the match, and I found it perturbing, really. I might be over-dramatizing it. It may not. But uh, it certainly, at that particular time, uh, left a real foul taste, certainly within uh, our family, and certainly my father, who was exceptionally disappointed with it all. Indeed. That's uh, Martin O'Neill. And uh, I think there's probably some people who would contend that that should continue to be the case. uh, And in many ways, it uh, tells a story of uh, an Ireland that has changed over the years. Indeed, in very recent years, uh, because it's only a little over 20 years ago, back in 2001, that Rule 21 was dropped uh, by the GAA. Now, thanks to the Navin listener, who, like a a lot of people, has been in touch with us about the price of hotels and the price gouging that has taken place over the national holiday. He says, Michael, do these hoteliers think that people are foolish enough to pay crazy prices for a couple of days of paddy whackery when they can go abroad? 
guaranteed good weather for a lot less money. Greed is what this is and nothing else. Um, I'm afraid the answer is yes, and they are right. People are foolish enough to pay these crazy prices uh, because there's pretty much full occupancy. In other words, there's hardly a room left in Dublin hotels this weekend. Margaret, thank you for your text to the programme as well today. She says, it's disgusting to think that mortgage holders, along with the rest of us who bailed out the banks because of their incompetence, are being screwed again by the banks with high interest rates. As for the vulture funds who are picking the bare bones off the unfortunates who were thrown to them without a second thought, it's our government who should be ashamed for what they've allowed to happen to these people. The government and the regulator should have put in a lot more protections before the vultures started to circle. But as usual, it's the little people who always suffer for the incompetence of the incompetence. Thank you very much, as always, for your very well put uh, text to the programme today, Margaret. Uh, now, let's uh, hear a little bit more about being Irish and uh, another very much-loved Irish man. This is Seamus Heaney. I've become more and more interested in the Catholicism, not as, as a sectarian, sociological dimension of life in the North, but as Catholicism as a, as a condition which is, in a sense, archaic in the modern world, you know. Mm. If, and in a sense, been banished from the English language. For a writer, for a writer who uses English, since the Renaissance, you know, English language, the English imagination through its language, the, the imagination of the English language, everyone say, it has been gradually trying to get rid of all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it has reformed itself. It is a reformed language. <laughs> and and uh, so it, that it's unconscious. It doesn't have an unconscious now that holds, like the Virgin Mary, or, yeah. or uh, St. Bridget's Cross, or, you know, that... that if you get Chaucer's language, if you get Shakespeare's language, Shakespeare's language is, has a Catholic unconscious, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you get uh, Wordsworth's language, it it doesn't have, you know. And Wordsworth's a creature who 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 has a reverent streak in him, you know, and who who meets the goddess, if you like. Mm. But there's nothing goddessy about it. There's no Virgin Mary. There's no Queen Mab. You know, it's it's gone. When I read in translation, for example, Polish poetry of the Poles, mm. I'm interested in them because they're, they are as hard-bitten and suspicious as we are in Ireland. Yeah. They also have, even though, they're, even though they may have, as in a sense, lost their faith, their language still is possessed of that uh, which they have lost. You know? mm-hmm. And that if a Catholic writes about... You want to think of the Catholic writers in English very few. I mean, Joyce and Hopkins, for example. Mm-hmm. How odd it is for the usual English. There's an opaque, uh, there's a resistance there to the English ear. I don't mean just the the racially English, but to to, to American uh, ear. Catholicism is odd. If you grew up inside mm-hmm. it... Then, Okay, that's uh, Seamus Heaney speaking there. Uh, Some of uh, the great Irish people sharing some of uh, their thoughts about living and growing up in this country. Michael Reed on LMFM. We hope you have a happy St. Patrick's weekend. And uh, the message from uh, the Road Safety Authority this weekend is to be safe on the roads. Do all of the things that you know you should be doing. Use your common sense 
and don't drink and drive. Well, what we are seeing in terms of, of drink and drug driving, we're seeing um, detections going back to pre-COVID times. So we did see a decrease in, in us detecting uh, drink drivers, but it's starting to, it's, it's nearly now really back to what we had before COVID. And we are seeing those increases in, in drug driving. So yes, you know, our message is clear, you know, you know, a vehicle, it's a lethal piece of equipment. It, can't, it kills. So you know, don't you get behind the wheel if you've had, if you've consumed drink or drugs. We work in partnership with and Garda Shikana, um, they're increasing. They're increasing the enforcement of, of not just drink driving, but drug driving as well. And, and uh, most recently, we, we launched the, the polydrug device. So, so the technology is there. The, the, the devices are there. That um, my message to, to individuals: if you decide to drink and drive or take drugs and drive, you will be caught. And and that with that comes uh, with fines and penalties. And and it does actually um, it, it ruins young people's lives in particular if you lose your license and you have good access and you become you, you, the risk of being polarised by your friends because actually um, all of a sudden you don't have access to the things that you would normally have access to One in four people who are pulled over the, are over the legal limit are the following day and that's something that people are not really aware of that whenever you do have a few drinks the night before you have to be careful the next day to don't get behind the wheel It really hit home to me that just this year in two and a half months 40 people have lost their lives on the road and that number is just way too high and people need to try and be careful on the roads but also to never ever drink and drive. We know many people will do the right thing on the evening out and arrange taxis or a designated driver but just to remember you know how long it takes for alcohol to leave your system and to leave enough time um, before you get behind the wheel um, you know a, a standard uh, measure a small glass of wine half a pint of beer will take about an hour to leave your system and if you're tired it could take longer so you know last uh, St Patrick's uh, weekend we detected 33 people um, driving the morning after from that's from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. So just be mindful of that. You know, you've done the right thing on the evening, but do the right thing the next day. Well, unfortunately, in those 40 deaths, 80% of them are male, and uh, just over half of them are under the age of 35, which is such a young age. So yeah, the message is about trying to be careful, trying to get young boys when they get behind the wheel to be careful to not be shown off to concentrate and. Yeah, it's it's a really scary statistic and 40 people losing their life needlessly on our roads is something that we're having to address and that's why I'm happy to be here today. At the heart of this is actually reducing collisions and saving lives and reducing serious injuries. Um, Whether you're a young person or an older person, um, it, it can change your life forever forever if you either lose lose a, a loved one or you have a serious injury and and that changes not just your life but your friends your peer group your families forever and that's that's a pain that i'm asking people to take more care in the roads and avoid that pain let's celebrate st patrick's let's celebrate hopefully a, a rugby success but remember that um, we don't want to uh, the following week or the or after um, it's not celebration, it's actually um, someone who's e- either seriously injured or, or worse still, lose their life. Speeding. That's Sam Wade, Chief Executive Officer of the Road Safety Authority. Before him, you heard Tommy Bow, Ireland AM presenter and, of course, former rugby player. And we also heard from the Assistant Guard Commissioner, Paula Hillman. Now, that's our programme for today and for this week. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower. I was somewhere in Irish cyberspace. And God willing, we'll see you for our next programme after you've had a very happy St. Patrick's weekend on Monday morning, 9am right here on LFM. Good morning, bye. 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.